Creeps to another episode of Cadavercast. I'm Al Burnham. And I'm Cadaver Dad Jeff Burnham. And we are coming to you from the Frankenstein's Monkey Farm. Today's topic is the car. Which car? The car from the movie. The car. Lightning McQueen? No, Dad. The car. <laughs> oh, the car from the car, you mean? Yes, the car from oh, the car. Oh, you could have said that to begin with. <laughs> so. Here we are, second episode in January. We were worried that we were going to have to go down to one episode a month. We may still have to before the end of the quarter. Who knows? But we're uh, trying to bank a couple episodes here while we still have some time. <laughs> yep. And so uh, we are tackling a movie that we've been talking about doing for the show practically since the show started. And what episode is this? This is 93? So we've been talking about doing this for like 93. Yeah, basically. Episodes, basically. Well, this is one of our, personally, I think it's one of my favorite movies to watch with you. We've watched it quite a few times. Yeah. At least three three. or four. Yeah. Four. Four? Yeah, because you said I've watched this like three times and then we watched it again, so like four. Yeah. I mean, we had the VHS to begin with and... As soon as we watched it on VHS, I went ahead and bought the Blu-ray. <laughs> it was like, I got the VHS, I don't know, off Facebook or uh, at a thrift store or something. And then as soon as we watched it, it was a mandatory upgrade. And we've watched it a few times since. Oh, yeah. It was made in 1977. A universal picture starring James Brolin and co-starring Ronnie Cox. James Brolin, listeners might remember from the Amityville Horror And Ronnie Cox is, of course, the bad guy in RoboCop and plays the president, on the flip side, in Albert Pune's Captain America from 1990. Which are the two most important roles in his filmography, to my mind. Oh. (laughs) And, of course, there are others in it. But, Alistair, what's the most important thing you think our listeners should know about the car? What's the first thing you would tell somebody about this movie to get them to watch it? I would say you should watch this because... It's an evil car. <laughs> it's about an evil car? Sure. Yeah. Sure. And this is the tagline. Is it a phantom, a demon, or the devil himself? There's nowhere to turn, nowhere to hide, no way to stop the car. That's a good tagline. It's no way to stop dot 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 because then there's the... Yeah, the ellipsis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It goes into the title, the car. Yeah. It was um, produced, or at least greenlit by Universal because they had this idea that they would do Jaws on land. That was kind of their idea here. Yeah. And uh, we just watched an interview with the director, Elliot Silverstein, talking about that. When I saw on the back of the case, you know, this quote from Arrow in the Head, if it's a frightening, clever, violent, and surprising Jaws copycat you crave, hijack this ride. So that's the quote there, and I was really confused by it, because I was like, it's not really a Jaws copycat at all. 
and watching the interview with Elliot Silverstein, he talks about how, yeah, no, I mean, you can't do Jaws on land, at least not the way they were trying to do it, because it's all set during the daytime. It's about a car in a... Except at the end. Except at the end. It's got this uh, car in a Utah desert town in broad daylight. It's not really a Jaws clone in execution, even if that was the idea. Well, some parts of the movie, like a couple parts are in the are in the night. Sure, sure. But I mean, if you think about like, and here's my point, right? That if you look at something like Grizzly, Grizzly is a successful Jaws on land clone because the Grizzly is in the forest, right? And Jaws, these shark movies work because the sharks are in the water and they're kind of hidden. And so when we go into the water, it's like we're in their territory. Same thing with Grizzly. We go into the forest. We are in its territory. In the car, the car is in a desert in broad daylight. And it's not its territory. It's in the town. It comes into the town. It's terrorizing this town, which is the people's territory. So it doesn't really function as a Jaws clone. No. But I don't think that's a problem at all. (laughs) I really like it because it does have its own vibe to it. Yeah. Okay. So, let's talk about the movie now. I guess we haven't been talking about the movie, huh? Well, we have, but (laughs) not exactly about the movie. We're talking more about the tone and stuff, I suppose. In the beginning, there's the two bikers. They don't really die um, in the same way. It kind of looks like they die in the same way. They both fall off a cliff by the car. Yeah, Yeah, that's like our opening kill, Uh, what we call... In screenwriting, the sample kill, right? The hook of this movie is two bicyclists going down the road, and then they get knocked off the side of the Uh road by the car. Yeah, and then I like later in the movie when they say, like, one of the policemen is our main character. Mm -hmm. That's uh, Wade. His name's Wade Parent. He's a sheriff's deputy, played by James Brolin. And the sheriff gets run over by the car, and... Um, there's like this Navajo woman. Mm-hmm. It says it in the credits. Yeah, and it, the the desert community has a significant Navajo population. Yeah, yeah, and and one of the Navajo people tells them one of the what officers. She said. Yeah, the yeah. deputy. Um, but and then one of the other Navajo people, the like the communicator. Yeah, yeah, she she's she in says, charge of the radio. Yeah, yeah, and she says last night. Um, he didn't tell you everything. She said. She also said. There's no driver in the car. Yeah, that's some spooky stuff, huh? Yeah. Because the thing about this car is it's not a normal car. No, right? it's not. This is like, you know, okay, so you look at like Christine or a car like that uh, in a killer car movie. They are cars. They tend to be regular cars. This one isn't. This one looks really different. It's got yeah. a very unique build to it. The top of the car is brought way down. It's clearly a major custom yeah. job. And it has no door handles. Yeah, that's weird, right? Yeah. Why doesn't it have door handles? Because because there's no one in there. Mm, so if there's no one in the car, then you don't need door handles, right? So it's this kind of, at first, a mystery about like who's killing people in this car. Yeah. But then and the then, more we learn about the car, the more like, yeah, spooky it gets. Yeah, but then after... The movie ended, and then once we watched the interview, I understand why there was no door handles, because they literally blow the car up, mm. and then, like, the 
devil's like face comes out shooting like fireballs. <laughs> yeah, skip into the end. Yes. <laughs> and after that, I figured out why there was no door handles because they said that um, the devil lives in clear darkness in his own world, so he lives in there. It's the devil's car, right? Like the devil's territory. Yeah. yeah, doesn't come out; stays in there. That's why. Yeah, but it takes a long time to build up to the point where we fully understand that it's like a devil car because it does yeah. start off like it could just be a psycho in a car killing people, right? Like a serial killer. It yeah. could be that. But we do figure out a little ways into the movie, you know, that there is something weird about it. And it starts becoming clear that there's something extra strange about it when it won't drive into a cemetery. Hmm. Why won't it do that? Because they say it's hollow ground. Hollowed ground. Hollowed ground. So that basically they said that God's like watching over it. Mm -hmm. Because the car basically, as I said, the devil lives in it. So he can't go in there. Yeah. And if they'd figured it out earlier, I guess they could have all gone to a church or something like that and been perfectly safe. I don't know. <laughs> or just sprinkle holy water all over the town, something like that. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so this car is obviously the focus of the entire movie. It's the title, right? But it's not just about the car. That's not the only attraction. It's actually got kind of this great small town drama feel to it where there are all these smaller stories going on throughout the movie. Yeah. You know, where we do become invested in the lives of the people of the town. The town's called... Oh my gosh, I forgot already. Santa. Santa's a Spanish. Santa Inez. There we go. Santa Inez. So, there we go. so it's uh, Santa Inez. Uh, we have obviously Sheriff's deputy Wade Parent, played by Brolin. He's got this relationship that he's trying to get going with a local school teacher. She's one of my favorite characters in the movie, Lauren, who's the yeah. one who's in charge of the band and she like. Has the screaming match with the car. I think yeah. she's a great character because we really like her and we want these two characters to get together and his daughters like her. And so uh, and his wife ran out on him. You know, there's all this drama, all this melodrama yeah, going but on. Then they meet her. But then in the end of the movie, um, like since the car makes like a mm sound, um, the car like it was night, as I said. It was night and she was at home after because, like, the car opened its door. Oh, yeah. Basically, when and then he got Wade shot tried to, back. Yeah, Wade tried to stop the car and he shot it and it didn't do anything to it. And then the the car hit him with the door and it just launched him into yeah, the air. And yeah, and then he went to the doctor's and it was night. And then Lorraine went back to her house by the Navajo person. I said that... The deputy. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the character's name. What is his name? Let me see if I can find it. You keep talking. I'll try to find his uh, name. So, basically, he drives her home. Then he goes to check on his family. And then, And she's on the phone with our main character. What's his name? Wade. Um, On the phone with Wade. And she's like, I hear the car. I hear its engine. And then we just hear a mm, sound. And we can see the headlights coming at her. And the car just runs through four feet in the air through a window and hits her. Yeah, it like flies through the air. Mm -hmm. That's a really upsetting part of the movie. Because <laughs> she is 
such a good character and they have this really strong relationship, Wade and Lauren, you know, and it's kind of one of those things that like the it plays into the woman in the refrigerator trope, which we now don't do as much today because we're aware of it. But it's the idea that people used to operate under when they would write where you have to kill off the love interest in order to motivate the protagonist. He didn't need to have Lauren killed off to motivate him. So her death does seem extra senseless. Yeah. But that's part of the horror of the movie is how senseless the killings are. Because like the people who theoretically should be the ones getting killed by the car, you know, if there was any like quote justice or whatever in this world, not that I'm (laughs) advocating for murder, but like the one guy who has the dynamite truck He abuses his wife, you know, he's like a horrible person, but, you know, the car doesn't run him over. Instead, it runs over innocent people. Why? Because they're all important to Wayne. Wade. Wade. We figured that out. And they're good people, Mm -hmm. and the car is the devil. Yeah. That's why he doesn't run over the guy that abuses his wife, because he's mean like the devil. Yeah. So he thinks he's good. (laughs) So the character that you were talking about, the Navajo deputy, his name is Denson, played by Eddie Little Sky. I like that the guy, they put the guy that was, had the explosives in jail, and then they get him to help them, the, like, blow up the car, and then he's, what's the name again? The Navajo? Denson. They're like, (laughs) and then he picks him up by the neck. Yeah, nobody likes this guy because, no. I mean, he is a domestic abuser and he yells at everybody yeah, and he treats like... his kid terribly. Uh, he goes on a tirade and then, yeah, they drag him out of the cell and yeah. force him to help fight the car. Yeah, and then he's happy like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you need my help. Exactly. Like, he feels really vindicated <laughs> at the end of the whole thing. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you need my help. <laughs> Yeah, so then there's uh, the whole drama with his family. There's the drama with Lauren and Wade. And there's also drama between the domestic abuser's family and the sheriff who is like in love with that guy's wife. You know, there's a lot of small town drama here to really get you caring about the people and make you really feel upset when the car starts killing these folk off. And then we don't really know why he killed the bikers. In the opening of the movie? Yeah, but then after he said it's important and we learned about their family. Um, oh, yeah, like the doctor yeah, and then Ronnie Wade. Cox's character's yeah. connection to the boy from the beginning. Wade knows all of those people. Yeah. And they're special. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's why they killed. The car killed yeah. these people, you saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes, that's why the car killed everybody because they're special. They're innocent causes grief and chaos and it's a devil car it is a phantom or a demon or the devil himself or the devil himself that's what i said it is the devil himself (laughs) or something we don't really know at the end of the movie but you're right they do blow it up and then we do see then the face then it's like a face shooting like fireballs like giant fireballs yeah there's like kind of like claws in the fire and then like a snake face shooting fire (laughs) it's pretty cool 
No, it's like a ball of fire, just with fire just coming out of his mouth, but like a ball of fire coming out with fire just just a like a trail ball. of fire. Yeah, like a trail of fire. Yeah, it doesn't even touch them. Yeah. Oh man, during an earlier scene in the movie, which we alluded to, but the scene that ends with them, all of these people running to the cemetery to escape the car. It begins with the car driving into a parade rehearsal. Yeah. And there are all these horses and stuff. And then, yeah, and then one guy tries to get to the other side, but then a horse is just, one of the horses just runs him over. Yeah, and it's not, it doesn't even look like a stunt because it's in the background. We're actually focusing on something totally different in the foreground of the shot. But in the background, this dude falls over and this horse runs right over him. Yeah. And there are some people who fall kind of behind a horse, so it looks like a horse run, like ran them over. But like that was clearly a stunt for the movie. This guy got absolutely ran over by a horse. Yeah, and then the thing we're supposed to be focusing on is a guy that's actually running in, like trying to get around, but the horses run him over. Like one of the guys, like one of the police, like watching over. And then he gets run over by a horse. That's what we're trying to focus on. But then Dad saw a guy in the back that got literally got run over by a horse. Yeah, it's pretty traumatizing. <laughs> Holy cow. What else did you want to talk about? I know there's some stuff that we'll talk about in Beastly Best. There's one thing I want to talk about, but I'm kind of saving it for that. Really? I really don't. You just want to move into Beastly Best? Yeah. Okay, so let's move into Beastly Best. Alistair... What do you think is the coolest monster moment in 1977's The Car? When the car jumps four feet in the air through a building. Yeah, and it kills Lauren. I yeah. don't think, oh man, I can't even call that the coolest. That really upsets me. <laughs> that, that scene I is, can. You can? That it's scene is so upsetting. It jumps four feet in the air. How can a car jump four feet No, that's feet a really cool thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Mine is through similar to a that. window. And I think you'll appreciate this because they chase the car up onto this, like, mesa. And then it pushes a cop car over the side. It explodes. And then it comes back down the mesa. And these two cop cars are driving at it. Oh, yeah. And then we learned that they actually put a little explosive that explodes To make it the car like, flip. Yeah. yeah. And he actually put two fingers coming towards the car that was, like, all of his fingers. Then they put the explosive that actually ran, like, flipped over the cars, oh. and it blew them apart, and then they blow up. Yeah, you're talking about the uh, the interview with the director where he's yeah, demonstrating yeah. with his fingers. Yes. <laughs> Effectively, to simplify this, there are two cars driving at the car, two police cars, and the car itself turns sideways, rolls over the top of the two police yeah. cars, they explode, and then it just keeps driving. Yeah, it just flings apart. And then explodes, but I don't know why. Every time it drives, just big cloud of smoke comes. Well, in. it's in the desert. That's why the smoke yeah. comes up behind. And it. I think they tried to be in the desert so it can do like so it can do like weird things, like to like doing the donuts, kicking up the smoke and stuff. You mean? Mm -hmm. Okay. It was a big cloud of smoke when he kept driving. He was right, like instead of just like. If he just jumped over the cars, it would be like that. They put the cloud of smoke right there so that they could, like, fix the car to go right there. To come oh, yeah, yeah. Down. Well, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> I think is... what you're getting at is that being in the desert and filming in the desert, though clearly it has a lot of 
setbacks for a production because you have all the smoke. The one thing that it does do in editing is it allows you to edit using the smoke. So if there's a bunch of smoke, you can then cut to another shot of the, the smoke, of the dust, right? The dust being kicked up by the cars and then have the car come out of that dust completely intact, unharmed. And it the edit works just fine. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, you use the dust from the desert to cover some yeah. of the specific... things that might look like sloppy yeah. editing otherwise. Absolutely. They also use it one time because when, like, when Wade is on his motorcycle just trying to get on to distract the car while they get the explosives in place um, to blow up the car. The car's spinning around, um, blowing smoke up. So yeah, it looks creating like... a cloud of dust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you're right. That makes it easier to edit around, for sure. Yeah. So that's Beastly Best. Get spooked. What's the spookiest moment? Spookiest moment. I would say... So not really spooky at all for me. You don't think this movie's spooky? No. I would say the scene where Lauren's at home by herself and we don't know what's going to happen. And we see the car lights out the window in the night getting closer and closer yeah, to the house. Yeah, but I knew it because there was a scene where we saw the car... Well, sure, yeah, you know it, but the, what makes it spooky is you know the car is there and that it wants to kill her. Because you know it's there, that's what creates suspense. What? What's suspense? Suspense is where you inform the audience of something that the characters don't know, but the thing that the characters don't know puts them in danger. And so then we as an audience are worried about them, right? It's like we know that the car is out to kill her. But she thinks that she's okay, that she's just going to go inside her house, get a change of clothes, get picked up and go over to Wade's house. But we know that the car is there to kill her. And it creates suspense. And I think that's a spooky scene. For me, that's the spookiest. I do have to say, every time, like, the car comes in, I do see a little cloud of smoke. Because mm -hmm. when the car was about to crash into the parade, I saw a little... Oh, the like, glinting of the... the... I saw a little flash, and I yeah. looked at it. Then you couldn't see the car, but you saw a tiny little black spot with, like, smoke. Yeah, in the like, distance. Oh, see, there's another the spooky car. moment, because the police officer's looking around the parade grounds, right? The fairgrounds to see if the car is anywhere. And we see in the background of the shot something he doesn't. The light of the sun glinting off the windshield of the car. And then we spot the shape of the car in the cloud of dust more suspense right that creates those spooky moments yeah because it's like a glint off the windows because i saw the glint i was like and i kept looking at it then i yeah. saw the car and the smoke coming off absolutely so you'd say that's your get spooked moment okay yeah yeah both very good spooky moments yeah i was actually kind of scared for a moment then i saw the car and I'm like ooh, cool <laughs> yeah it's and then it wreaks all kinds of havoc it, it creates like a a windstorm, like a supernatural yeah. windstorm before it shows up. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think she knows that the car's going to come because Lauren. of the, Yeah, because she goes into her house. Yeah, right before she gets killed. You're right, yeah. That's why she calls Wade, because she's outside alone at night, and the windstorm kicks in, and then she can hear its motor, and she calls Wade, and then it comes flying four feet off the <laughs> yeah. ground. Yeah. Oh. That's horrifying I think it's because stuff. they go up the steps that like really fast that go that flings the car. There's into no, the there, air. no, no. There are no steps, not where it hits. It just goes flying through the sky. It's a devil car. It can do what it wants, really. Yeah. I should also say because we're talking about a car killing people, running people over, and stuff. This movie is rated PG. 
Uh, so PG for parental guidance. It is 1970s PG, so it does require that parental guidance. Watch it with your kids. Obviously, there's some spooky stuff in this, and there is some swearing. Yes. And some innuendo. Huh? But otherwise, that's about it. It is a 1970s PG, though, so parental guidance is required. Guide your kids through this movie. Don't blame us if you don't. Alistair, final segment, Scream Themes. What's the message of this movie, do you think? Um, if you work together, you can do anything. That's good. I like that. The community is kind of fractured. Everybody's fighting. And then the car comes into town, fractures them further, but then they all have to come together, even with the guy who's the domestic abuser problematic though uh, that kind of business may be but they do have to come together even with the people they don't like to defeat the car yeah that's great mm-hmm. knocked it right out of the park first go i, th- I think that's terrific <laughs> yeah because i was really unsure what you were going to say about this one from a theme perspective to me that's a very clear message that is indeed 100 percent there yep good job my man well uh, where can our listeners go if they want to support the show and get some exclusive episodes? Patreon.com slash word salad. That's right. And we have a new not-so-creepy critters that will be up sometime around the release of this episode. Yeah. And then a couple new Cinemucks will be up in January and February. So despite the general busy nature of our lives we're still going to be getting things out there over at patreon.com slash word salad every little bit helps that supports us and word salad radio and you know gives us an excuse to put out some weirdo random stuff that maybe we can't do with any consistency like you know on a month-to-month basis especially because not so creepy critters is kind of relegated to being recorded whenever you have done ample amount of research on an animal so we can't go we'll do one every month or whatever it may be every two maybe every three maybe two a month if al does a bunch of research one month yeah because we're learning about the animal we're talking about in school yeah it's al talking about the fascinating things that he's learned about animals in school the first episode was about otters and i learned a ton from that one yeah i really i did i really did And then, obviously, I host Cinemuck over there, which is a Patreon exclusive, and we have exclusive episodes of CadaverCast. That's, again, patreon.com slash word salad. You can, of course, support the show as well by simply sharing out the episodes. You can also, of course, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Alistair will read your reviews on the show. And you should follow us on social media. Alistair, where can they find us on Instagram? At CadaverCast? Yep. On Twitter. Cadaver underscore cast. Absolutely. And on Facebook. At the Cadaver Cast Critters and Grapes Club. Join the club. And you can always email us at. Cadavercast at gmail.com. And that is it. Alistair, my man, sign us out. You've been listening to another episode of Cadaver Cast. I'm Mel Burn. And I'm Cadaver Dad Jeff Burnham. We love ya. Thanks, everybody. 